But boom, we're talking not on Zoom, but in Audacity. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what's up? How are uh, you doing? Doing fairly well, I think. Yeah, Pretty things good. are good. Yeah. Things are good in the neighborhoods. Yeah. We're just, I don't know. <laughs> thinking about the universe, thinking about the world, thinking about all sorts of stuff, as usual. Oh, yeah. The usual before you fall asleep, uh, you can expand your mind outwards kind of grind. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a nice thing to do sometimes, especially if like I can't fall asleep, just like chill there and like let my brain wander and just into weird places. Like uh, last night, I'm getting stuck in uh, in the theory of evolution applied to like other stuff, like history, like technology. Oh, yeah, but you know, it's just a theory, though, right? Yeah, but uh... <laughs> it means it's not real. I mean, we've seen evidence that. Makes it pretty obvious. <laughs> all right, that's like, one of my biggest gems. Like, fifteen-year-old me was all about evolution. Stephen Jay Gould. Uh, see, sometimes people say Stephen Jay Gould. Honestly, as a former Stephen with a PH, I mean, I'm here for it. I don't know what his real pronunciation is, but I choose to believe it's Stephen. But Stephen Jay Gould, uh, evolutionary uh, theorist, he died of cancer. Uh, you know, I think in the nineties. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh, but he was awesome, really based socialist. And, uh, you know, I, I was all about reading his essays. I was getting way into the whole, uh, you know, disproving those damn anti-evolutionist creationist nut bars. Like, that was like, hoo, 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 look at them. And uh, then that evolved into laughing at Republicans and Jon Stewart. And then, yeah, know, I, get I, mired in that. I mean, I feel like we've spoken about it before, but like the idea of this, just like a pipeline from being super into like evolution and, and dunking on, dunking on like the religious nuts to trans girl or reactionary alt-right. It just seems to be like a fork in the road. Well, <laughs> probably you have some like existential angst you're working out, you know, I'm just going to say those two groups seem to have a good amount of that. And you, yeah. you need somebody to hate, somebody that you you feel completely justified in hating. And why not the people that are against this really cool, fun thing about stuff changing into other stuff? You know, not like I ever think about that every day. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I mean, the amount of, like, uh, transformation, evolution stuff I looked up before I was uh, figuring out what I was was... Not a small con. See, I'll just put it like that. I would. Uh, I was too scared to actually look it up. I just hit random on Wikipedia, and then said, oh, oh, it's interesting. I just found this article about sex reassignment surgery, and I'll just read it for interest. You know, I'm just learning, just generally learning about random topics. I, 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 my, my mother had this stack of um, sex magazines, and in there was a page about a trans woman who'd undergone surgery and all sorts, and it was like this beautiful like pinup photo of her, and I was like. Ah, oh, she's really lucky. That sounds nice. I'm happy she gets to be happy. And I kept going back to this fucking, like, one spot in this book. I was just obsessed with it for years, and I just had no idea why. I just think it's neat. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> oh.
side tangent. Have you, speaking of Wikipedia, have you ever heard of the Seven Steps to Hitler? Seven Steps to Hitler. Yeah, it's a it's one of the weird, absurd games you can play on Wikipedia, where you just go, you pick a random page on Wikipedia, or you use the random page option, and then you got to try and get to Hitler with seven links. So, so you like the related the... articles, or any link in the article? Any link in the article. So anything okay. that is highlighted in blue, and it is, I have not found a page I can't get to Hitler in seven steps. Huh. Which is a wild sort of, like, it, it feels like so much of human information is basically about seven steps from each other. Well, yeah, I mean, usually, especially if you're talking about something really big, like a big ideology sweeping an entire continent, if not globe, right? Yeah. Uh, that's going to often be based on, or, you know, less than based on, uh, in the case of, say, genetics, but based on other scientific theories, right? They really thought they were being scientific. They really believed. So they're going to be referenced by other people trying to justify this grand theory. Like, oh, yeah, Charles Darwin. He justifies it, even though, like, they didn't know what DNA was at that point when they were into that stuff. Like, they didn't even understand how genetics work. They're like, oh, no, but this other science about evolution and, and survival of the fittest and DNA getting passed down, that proves our theory. You know, well, there, there were a couple of competing uh, theories of evolution at the time that Darwin came out with his, you yeah. know, um, and now, of course, the title name is escaping well, is, me. Is this the, the origin of species. That's the one. Yeah. Natural like, selection as opposed to like Lamarckian evolution. Yeah. Lamarckian was the one with like the inherited traits from you, you acquire parents. a trait. Yeah. Like if you if you stuck your neck out long enough over the course of your life you know, to reach leaves at the top of the tree and you're always stretching to get those leaves, your kids are going to have a slightly longer neck because you were trying to have a longer neck. It's, it's, it's honestly like, you know, looking at the evidence until like really doing such a deep dive, it makes a lot of sense that people like to chose something like that because it feels like it makes a lot of sense. I kind of remember a Stephen Jay Gould ep uh, episode, essay, <laughs> <laughs> about like how it's like yeah it was wrong but it was like i can see why they were wrong like yeah. you start with a false premise but you you can proceed kind of logically yeah i i think it makes it makes good sense that it, like you know even if you look at like and this is where it gets into the this is where i want to get into like the the nitty-gritty or like the idea of where to apply the theory of evolution on this sort of i don't know uh what, what space is, journey we're gonna take there's definitely not good places to apply it i think uh like say in the case of nazis trying to apply it to how we should run our society basically well they're also like applying some very uh cherry picked yeah. pieces along with some just straight up misinformation well, and your ideology informs how you apply science right the idea that science would be objective is silly because the people trying to apply the science are going to ideologically apply it yeah so i mean no, I, not to mention the people who do it in the first place but i know the nazis like repopularized fucking phrenology for a while because that was one of their angles to go for it was like we know phrenology means jack shit it is a completely bunk science and to even call it a science is perhaps like giving it too much credit um but yeah they were just like cherry picking whatever the fuck worked to, to like yeah, just tell their story, right? Yeah, I mean that's what they always do, right? And and even the, the creationists, going back to that, they love to, you know, say no, that's not real. But then when you know, like if you give them some hard evidence, you know, the devil put 
the the bones in the ground. The dinosaur bones are brought there by Satan to trick you, or alternately put there by God to test you. Mm. But then they'll have some, you know, uh, evidence that that supports them. They think, and they'll be like, "Ah, see, science does support us." Actually, I mean, I, I, one of those takedown videos that I remember from back in the day when I was super into the like, you know, oh those silly creationists. Was the the idea of the banana being the oh my god the atheists like what was that Ken Ham I I don't even remember I know these dinguses all too well but yeah yeah you know the idea of the banana and then it's like you see a picture of an, a regular banana and like um a, ne- like a like, wild banana yeah it is like oh yeah this is the closest thing to what bananas used to look like fucking two thousand they're like a weird like ago. nut or berry or something like they're like a little ball of seeds like. yeah it's like this <laughs> like weird football shaped like half the length twice the width banana that is just full to the brim with seeds it looks honestly extremely unappetizing doesn't look fun to eat it's like all the fun of a watermelon but with the texture of a banana maybe <laughs> but probably a starchier l- less sweet banana yeah, imagine like the the watermelon that, that you've had, and I know everyone's had one watermelon that was just mostly seeds. Like every mouthful, you're just spitting out like thirty seeds a piece. That's what it looked like. It was like this is just it's just seeds, and there's some yellowish stuff around oh, like, it. Like eating a raspberry, but there's no delicious juicy flesh around all those seeds. Yeah, just a thin layer of starchy mush. Pretty much. And like it's God's perfectly designed food for us that we did not modify at all. Right. Through <laughs> selective breeding for a purpose. Yeah, for for God knows how long actually. Like I you know, I don't actually know when they started cultivating bananas, but like it feels like it was several thousand years. I think it is a pretty early cultivated pro- uh, crop. I don't know for sure the number on that, but I, I seem to recall that's a pretty early one. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like several thousand years before, you know, be- common era, like at least, if not longer. It's, yeah. It's, it's an impressive feat of like, it's an impressive feat of genetic engineering. Something we've been doing for most of our existence as a species. It's interesting how these processes kind of play out without your understanding of them. Like, we didn't understand how DNA worked. We didn't understand that you're, like, basically transposing genes. You're trying to get a gene. You grab it, Mm. take it, and then you make more of it, you know, in an organism. Uh, You know, we transpose genes now, like, whatever. I don't know what method they use. I think they bombard it with electrons or i don't know what and they separate it out from the dna code and then put it in elsewhere i don't know like it's a whole I, i'm trying to there's that whole crispr thing that i i looked up a couple of times which is really cool for like rewriting dna and stuff where it like works a bit like a virus and then it like reprograms sections um so they take a piece out however science way they do it yeah and then they you know they would do that manually now but back in the day we would still be doing basically the same thing right you take dna that you like this banana is less shitty i like that one let's plant those seeds next time and not the shitty seeds <laughs> yeah and then of those ones the ones that are the least shitty plant those seeds and you're you're finding the genes you don't know it you don't know that's what you're doing you don't even know genes exist yep. but you're selecting for the genes that you want yeah, and it is like what you're what you're effectively doing is you're creating the environment for that thing to be 
fit in, if that makes sense. And so the ones that are the fittest for the environment are the ones that we like the most. And so we're like, well, we want more of these. So we're going to like basically ham-fistedly effectively control its evolutionary path. So this all goes back to like sort of this thing that you wanted to talk about today about uh, evolutionary theory as applied to other things because it's other subjects also evolve. Yeah. Not This is not to say like, oh yeah, we should do a eugenics. We should apply the yeah. <laughs> select for genetic traits that we want to see within people and then influence society that way. No, that is, I want to go on the record early on in this conversation. That's not... What anyone should do. I don't want to live my life based on natural selection. I don't want society to be based around what genes you have and trying to get those genes, the good ones or the bad ones, encouraged or discouraged. No, don't do that. Never good. Absolutely. I like, you know, I'm amongst other things. Whilst for our own benefit uh, with certain cases with animals or species of plants, we're not bad at like sort of corralling things in a direction that works for us over a long period of time but even there we're pretty fucking bad and let's like you know pick how many fucking species of dogs that we've just turned into basically incapable of survival without human intervention because like their face is so fucked up because we were like hey that one's got a cute scrunchy face let's make its children look like they ran at a wall at an even faster speed until eventually like you know 50, 100 generations later, you've got dogs that can't breathe because their face is so fucked up. So like This we... is treating a living being as a means rather than an end unto itself that deserves, you know, its own autonomy. Yeah. You're using them, exploiting them. And it's, there's a difference when humans do it versus when there's a natural process that, like, it's no, there's no watchmaker. There's no one doing it. It just, this is how the cookie crumbles. That's how things play out. Things that continue to exist, continue to exist. And things that do not continue to exist, stop existing. And we, they're not in play anymore. That's all evolution actually is. But when you start choosing to do that, now you're doing evil things. You're being bad. <laughs> you don't get to do that. No one gets to do that. That's the whole point. Well, the interesting thing is, I think, like, you know, morally, we have to, as a species, to, well, morally, we, you have to come to the conclusion that, like, fucking with other beings is perhaps not morally okay. Like, there were certain, I think, massive benefits that came about due to humans and animals working side by side. Like, it made sense that dogs, I, I gather some of the more recent evidence suggests they partially domesticated themselves a little bit like cats, where... You know, we were cooking nice tasty meat around a fire and like some wolves got a little closer and they were like, mm, you don't seem terrible. And the people were like, here, have some of the scraps that we've left. Or like, you know. I, I saw a video just recently and like, you know, who knows the reality of videos. But the claim in this video on YouTube was like, it was like a hungry, starving wolf uh, begging humans for food, like out in the wild. And like, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a wolf uh not not close actually no most people haven't seen a wolf the only time i've ever seen a wolf in the wild it was like for a second and as soon as it saw us it just left yeah and like it was very far away and they don't let you get close to them they don't want to be around you so most of the time wolves don't want anything to do with humans at all but yeah. 
this one was coming up to humans and begging for food and clearly emaciated. And so I can believe that at some point, like most people, I think that they're skeptical of animals having any kind of agency will usually immediately be like, oh, well, humans must have fed that wolf before. Like, well, maybe, I don't know, right? But I feel like it that could indicate that wolves are like, there's something in there. They, they know what humans are. They intentionally avoid humans because they don't trust us and they know we're powerful and spooky. And sometimes if the wolf is really desperate, it's like, I wonder if these awful things that seem to get whatever they want could give me what I want as otherwise I'm going to die. Well, I, I can see... Um... I could imagine wolves being a lot more diverse in some respects way back in like the times when we were sitting around campfires and that was our like modus operandi. Um, because like, you know, they'd probably be a lot more comfortable approaching a much smaller group yeah. of humans that aren't making a bunch of noise, aren't like, you know, changing the environment around them to make it like toxic to your kind. And on top of that, they keep leaving food scraps, which... You know, you go over to their fire after they've, like, finished camping for the day, having cooked a piece of meat, and, like, you get the scraps. You get what's left over. After enough of that, you have a bad day where you're starving. Well, maybe I'll just get closer to them, see what, what like, if I can just sneak something before I... Well, even just, like, the ones that do that, yeah, they will get more food and maybe live through a lean time. Or at least when they the time comes, they have more kids because they were more nutritionally vitalized, yeah. right? They're robust and strong and have yeah. kids. And the ones that don't do that, well, they have less kids or yeah. they die. And then that just, okay, the one that made more of itself is here and the one that didn't make more of itself is not here. Exactly. Like, and uh, I'm, you're alerting me to this sort of like unseen selection that I guess... I feel like I've never appreciated, I don't feel like people talk about it much, very much, but we hear the story of like, oh yeah, humans domesticated dogs at some point. But like, wouldn't that maybe mean that like there would be a population split in wolves? Initially, wolves yep. would have been more genetically diverse with more uh, behaviorally diverse, perhaps. And then when humans came along, it became the split. Either you're the sort of wolf that stays close to humans, or you're the sort of wolf that does not stay close to humans. And the ones that stay close to humans, they better be friendly towards humans, or be willing to be friendly towards humans, or they're going to get killed. Yeah. So now you've you've cleaved the population quite clearly. What's what's fascinating to me is the the best part about like the most interesting part about this is that we as a species probably started taking over some of their hunting grounds because we started eating the same stuff like and and it was a steady process that took like a while for more of us to do so but because we evolved to the point that we were hunting other animals that wolves were hunting and we were getting to the point where we defended ourselves we became something that changed what made them fit for their environment and like you know i i was thinking about an example uh, last night it was like you know, imagine, for instance, goats. We know, like, goats like to climb rocks and stuff. But imagine beforehand that they didn't. Like, what's the process for them to get to that stage? Um, like, okay, well, something that might push them into an environment where their being, their predators have gotten better at, like, attacking them. So some of them discover they can climb on rocks. Those are the ones that survive. Those are the ones that breed. Those are the ones that, like, start pushing that behavior more and more. It's like, well, we're better and better climbers. And then you might find something like some of those goats, well, they spend a lot of energy like turning the plant matter that they're eating into like sodium, for instance. Like absorbing sodium from food can sometimes be a little more complicated than 
necessary. So maybe some of them just don't adapt for that. But there's these really handy sources of sodium on all the rocks they're climbing from all the rain that's left the, the salt there. And so they just, it stops being something that matters for their survival, whether or not they can process the sodium from the plants. And eventually, enough of the population gets to the point where no, we don't need to expend extra energy on this extra organ, so the ones that are expending that energy on something else survive a little better. They have a little more energy at the end of the day. They have a little more energy to do things. And over a long period of time, now those goats can't survive without licking rocks for salt. Yeah. Like, you, 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 uh, I feel like people don't always appreciate that. Like, people talk about it with, like, cave-dwelling animals. They'd be like, why... Why would it have uh, eyes if it or not be able to see? You know, like why wouldn't you just want to be able to see? I'm realizing now we we kind of talked about this in the T Rex episode of yeah. the podcast, but yeah, quickly there. Like sometimes it's useful just to lose something if environmentally it's not needed for whatever reason. Like okay, you can get salt now that's better for you. Why yeah. would we keep the salt processing organ? That's a waste of energy, and the ones that do not going to do as well. Um. Well, I guess like uh, my my thought on this is about how going back to the initial point of the conversation, which is yeah. like, say, applying this to technology or society, I've often sort of worried about our increased reliance on technology. We already are completely technologically dependent, like that yeah. predates humans as a modern species. Humans were already dependent upon technology before Homo sapiens sapiens existed. Uh, yeah the uh, um when well, homo erectus yeah uh, you know like those the, like earlier human hominid species they were already technologically dependent so there's a certain degree of technology humans are in the bag that's how we operate we're techno organisms in some capacity no matter i don't care how trad you are i don't care how much you want to go back to the land you still need technology in some capacity to live you're going to use flint napping you're going to yeah. have simple tools like flint napping is a is a technology. The spoken word is a technology. Would you like to give that up? That doesn't make sense. Wearing a dead animal's unprocessed hide over you to stay warm is a technology. Yeah, like literally, you know, the fire. Fire is like you know people think of it as the quintessential first technology, but like even that wasn't necessary. There's no because, way like, that was the first technology. Yeah, if like, crows are bending twigs. Exactly. You know, like, come on, no. <laughs> Octopuses are putting shells on them to protect themselves. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is what I love about, like, the animal kingdom, is you see so many examples of animals using tools. They aren't tools that we would necessarily they're, consider yeah, tools. be super but, advanced. But they're things that work for them. Like, otters have their favorite little rock that they use to smash things to death with. <laughs> they And they know the characteristics of what rock they like to use. And, yeah. And then, you know, I think people start to take it more seriously as a tool once they're modifying it, which lots of animals do modify their tools. Absolutely. I mean, you speak about, like crows bending twigs and stuff like that we have birds that build nests and they'll build it out of new and different materials to modify it to their needs that's a technology straight up they're building themselves a home like we build ourselves homes they build themselves homes like what what's fascinating to me about that is like you know 
it's another case of like we're not that far from animals in some ways we have like a lot of a head start in technology but it starts snowballing yeah people love to talk about the singularity of like you know oh then the computers will be so powerful it's like game changing you know the event horizon of a black hole it's like in in zero to infinity kind of thing you know like it's this massive breaking point uh, but they won't be willing to acknowledge how, like, you know, you can start from a very humble origin, very simple technology, but then the technology compounds very quickly and you snowballs into something way bigger exponentially. It's on orders of magnitude bigger with every step. So, funnily enough, the singularity, the technological singularity, is something that's always sort of fascinated me because I've. I heard it as at one point as being a thing where we merge with technology like we become it's um, an extension of ourselves yeah like the way we use our phones today the way we use glasses the way we use all of these pieces of technology have become part of our our evolutionary path this is just like what we've come to what we've adapted to what has given us the tools to like change our environment even more and ensure our survival well for instance uh great apes are famously way stronger than humans chimpanzees have the strength of like five adult athletic men gorillas have like the strength of like 10 men like even a little monkey chances are is two or three times stronger than you they're very powerful but they sacrifice fine motor dexterity they their hands are not as precise as ours they're they're good grippers and they can do some tool work but they don't have the fine motor skills that we have with their fingers so we have sacrificed strength biologically in order to be better at manipulating technology. Like we have evolved for tools. We don't have hair anymore because we can wear clothes when we need to be cold or when it's cold and we need to warm up yeah. and we can shed our clothes and run for long distances under the hot sun when we need to as well. Yep. We build shelters so that we don't need like our own like thick coat in the same vein. Like we have shelters that keep us um from from these kinds of things we don't like we've part of our ability to adapt to being upright as much as we are and to have gotten more and more upright is that we found technological tools to aid our sleep yeah i'm just thinking about how like long hair you know Mm -hmm. we we would probably maybe be huddling underneath an unprocessed hide of an animal that we killed to stay warm but you also still need to keep watch maybe you still need to communicate with your kin so yeah. your head's got to be out of that. You can't just be wrapped up alone. You're in communion with your family, maybe around the fire, eating mammoth or whatever. I don't know, right? And you need to be able to look around. And realistically, they wouldn't be eating mammoth at this stage. They're You're eating a scavenged deer that wolves or whatever ate, and you're getting the tail end of it. Like, that's the phase yeah. of humans we're talking about here, really. Um, but you need to be able to look around for whatever reason. But maybe you still need to stay warm. Well, you're going to have hair on your head. But you don't want just, like, fur covering your whole head. That would be not ideal for, I'm assuming, not reading facial expressions. Uh, You can't modify it as easily, which is where I'm going, ultimately. Because maybe in the hot season comes along and you need to run. Well, you could cut your hair. (laughs) You could shed your clothes. And now you can run free for the whole summer season. Because it's like, perhaps... This is pure speculation. Maybe it's a good time to point out neither one of us are biologists here. Absolutely not. Just yeah. big dorks that have read a lot of books about this stuff. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm always thinking about it. No, absolutely. I mean, this uh, is the thing. Like, this is what kept me up at night last night. Yeah. So I think, 
it's fair to speculate based on my whatever level of knowledge. And this is just fun. We're having fun here. Yeah. That it's not unthinkable that our human biology in terms of our hairlessness patterns is based on our capacity to interact with technology in very specific ways, up to and including cutting our hair in the summertime and getting yeah. naked and running across the savannah. Yeah. Uh, like... You know, it's interesting to see, like, adaptions to different areas of the planet, different adaptions. Like, I have uh, genetically red hair, blue eyes, and the palest skin on the planet, and I get freckles super easily. Because, you know, the people that that, and that those traits are most common in lived in areas where they didn't see a great deal of sunlight. It wasn't super important for them to be, like, in sunlight. The result is that, like, we adapted a different um, skin-like focus to the point where we can process uh, vitamin D, I think it is, from the sun a little bit easier without much of it. But the caveat is that when we go out into bright, hot sunlight, we turn into a lobster and can give ourselves skin cancer, like, super easily. I mean, I just... And it's like, that's fine-tuning to that environment. Yeah. Not ideal at the equator, but also not necessary at the equator. Yeah, not ideal where I grew up, in, like, the southern tip of Africa, where yeah. it's fucking hot and dry and dusty. But the, it was extremely useful in, like, northern Europe, where, you know, you didn't need to be out in the sun a lot. In fact, you didn't get to see a lot of sun. Especially in, like, Ireland, where it's just oh. mostly raining. Yeah, what I it makes total sense that humans, like, just over time, it'd be like, oh, yeah, the ones that were just, like, a little healthier, that got a little bit more of the vitamin D, they were the ones that had that skin pigment a little bit more. And yeah. so they just, they were around there. And it has nothing to do with any other trait. There's no ingrained success that they have. They're not mighty warriors or whatever. It's, that's how you want to have more kids? You should have paler skin where there ain't no fucking sunlight yeah like, <laughs> and and the opposite in in exchange it is like these incredible adaptions that do wonderful things for like our evolution it's why it feels like morally wrong to like fuck with it intentionally but we're automatically fucking with it somewhat intentionally as we go as you it's like when you become self-aware about the thought that you're having it kind of breaks the thought down like yeah. at, at a certain point it's like well now everything i do is intentional i know you're watching me you know, like, I know yeah. you're going to maybe, I don't know what in this dumb analogy, but like, I, I know what's going on. I'm self-aware that every action I take actually is affecting the genetic outcome. I think people get too hung up on that. Y- I, I, yeah. I was musing today on people's obsession with their, their lineage, their, their, uh, you know, like their ancestors. Like, you know, there's always the memes where it's like my ancestors looking down on me, ending my family line by, you know, sleeping with my body pillow or whatever. Like getting my nuts cut off because I'm a trans girl. And it's like, okay, you know, your family not line is not over, right? Like you share, uh, what is it? Half your DNA with all your siblings, right? That means oh, I, yeah. a quarter of your DNA is being passed on in every one of your siblings' kids. What? And that's if you're, say, a big game that don't have no kids, but you look after your siblings' kids and your sibling has like four kids because you, uh, you're able to take care of them for them. Yeah. Well, that adds up to the same amount of your DNA being passed on. It's not exactly as if all your DNA were passed on, but that's a good equation. That's a fair trade. It's enough of a trade for the big gamo gene to get passed on. Well, what's even more interesting is if you look at that kind of trait in a, uh, on a macro scale, like 
you know, we have good examples from, from nature where there are animals that will like have um, like queer couplings effectively and they end up looking after the young, the abandoned young or the young from parents who died or various other things. And it's like beneficial to the species that there are individuals like that because we help effectively raise the young of the others. We help support the society. We help. And it's like it's one of those things where with enough there's clearly enough pressure for us to exist effectively like there's enough random chance that it is not a negative on our species for us to exist because we've existed as long as our species has had civilization like as trans people for instance like clearly we are part of the fabric of what makes our species work one way or another aside from just like genetic variation also we're not damaging it like if that makes sense oh, yeah. because otherwise we would have been effectively bred out you, yeah if, if it's enough for the the sunlight in ireland to selectively breed over time for people to be lighter skinned it's like yeah. i think over time it'd be like oh yeah you don't want to have gamos that's got that'll get selected out like and then that's the, i don't want to be like too ontological about it of like oh whatever would be is or whatever right but like yeah. It, it it's like i think it's pretty clear then i i wanted to actually get into an analogy that maybe uh, stop me if you've heard this one before from me um mm. on this show at least but uh you know in in kung fu martial arts you don't want to ever fully give up all your joints like you don't mm -hmm. want to fully extend your arm and lock it out because you've got nowhere to go and yeah. if your opponent now has that they can trap you and hurt you they could break your arm very easily they could put you in an arm bar they could submit you, right? Like, it's don't give them your whole arm. You always need a bit of wiggle room. It's yeah. part of why I think a, a lot of look at fencers, look at samurai, look at kung fu flowing robes. You want that, uh, you don't know where somebody is. I think I've probably talked about Jackie Chan, uh, Jackie, multiple Jackie Chan movies where Jackie Chan wears a skirt and like mm -hmm. is able to like kick people because they don't know where his feet are. And he usually learns that from a girl wearing a skirt who kicks his ass because he couldn't tell where her kicks were coming from, from under her skirt. Like, yeah. you need wiggle room. You need, you can't always be like full bore. Like we experienced that in the pandemic mm -hmm. with uh, where it was like the whole economy was balanced around like uh, making as much money as possible for a couple of rich old assholes. Like and yeah. everything was go, go, go towards that. And then the whole thing, you know, gets shut down for like a couple of weeks and it just falls apart and all these big problems and it can't even withstand that, right? Because you min-maxed for yeah. one goal in mind. You didn't give yourself wiggle room. You didn't give yourself any flex. So if you've got your whole population, it's like, no, we need one man, one woman. They each have 2.5 children and they live in little fascistic units that conveniently also one man could very easily control them all. Mm. Um, you know, uh, just saying then they are all having the maximum number of kids and our, you know, there's no room for any one family fucking up. Otherwise you lose the whole family basically. And we're not going to help them by the way, because we're weirdo fascists. Uh, like yeah. that, that's not a good way to run things. It, you give it a little flex. You need some people who don't have kids. Ideally not single resentful straight people that wish they could have kids or wish they could, uh, you know, get a partner and fuck. No, no, it, it, that doesn't work out too well, actually. Um, it's a lot better if the people that don't have kids of their own that they biologically produced 
uh, are happily in another sort of relationship with whatever. That's their business, actually. It doesn't, it shouldn't matter, really. Yeah. Uh, and then they could help their various siblings and friends and community members raise their kids. And then if one of those community members, family unit, suffers a hardship, they don't just all die. <laughs> yep. I mean, like, so, I like, I, I really like this analogy because it, it helps kind of, like, explain some of the stuff that I think is um, unaware aspects of, like, how evolution drives things. And the idea that, like, you know, okay, um, to use another example for, from nature, like, when when we the the bananas the previous generation of bananas that were like make up the the um fake banana flavor that we have today like the artificial banana flavor everyone knows it tastes a little different to regular bananas it's my favorite by the way yeah i I, honestly i quite like artificial banana flavor if it's like high quality artificial banana flavor because it has the flavor of those old banana styles in a really nice way yeah those banana marshmallows no good don't like them yeah banana puffs but banana cream pie yeah uh, uh, banana fudge ice cream yeah fake banana yeah i i really i really like that flavor as well but like you know there's an example of like we evolved those bananas to a crazy degree and then it was wiped out by a plague and like that entire um breed of banana effectively it's just gone we like there's maybe some hope that we can resurrect it but it's a whole fucking nightmare it's a whole thing and we have this different strain of bananas because of unintended consequences of us fucking with the evolution of it like we weren't thinking ahead about what could happen with these things that we were doing and like society is the same it's like why i it's why to me eugenics never makes any fucking sense because it's like well you you can't predict everything that's going to work out it doesn't work like that aside from all the other logical arguments around like even if we just like take all of the stuff around like well give people food and like good health and education and all these kinds of things and you'll have far higher statistics of success than like you bred the right way for a while i guess like that's not going to help nearly as much as you'd think. Mm-hmm. But also, it could have horrendously terrible consequences that you're not thinking of. Like, you know what happens when you have a, a like, basically a monoculture, a mono, like, they, it doesn't take much for it to be undermined. It doesn't take much for it to be knocked over. It doesn't take much for it to be killed off by a plague. What do you mean? If, if I put all of my defenses on one side and make that side really, really strong, nobody will ever be able to beat me from that side <laughs> and like that's the thing is like you can't predict what's gonna work what's not gonna work what's gonna change things you need some variability a little yeah. bit of, like okay boxers boxers move around they move their head they bob and weave they and you, just, you never stop moving yeah you don't ever go completely still you want to be a little fluid a little loose but like a lot of like karate beginners because they only ever learn like the katas they only ever learn the rigid techniques that are like, which are really like the apex of the technique and you're mm. holding that apex. So the sensei can come around and be like, okay, that's the right posture. And it's actually a very separate act from like fighting and how you'd move during fighting, which is actually, you don't want to be still and rigid. You need to be fluid and loose because when you're fluid and loose, like you've got this ability to kind of go where they aren't, like you, they can't pin down exactly where you are and you are always changing every little aspect your hand 
is moving. So it's harder to detect any little movement that might precede a punch, say. Yeah. Your feet are moving, so it's hard to detect any little movement that's going to draw you towards them or away from them. Like, it's just more complex. And you're also alive and bouncing around and your muscles are working rather than stiffening up and getting cold. So, like, it makes sense that in your system that you're operating within that you want to have keep it kind of moving keep it kind of loose and alive not stiff and rigid and unchanging yeah well like you know looking at looking at the the world of ideas and the world of like just what things work for uh, a species like that example with the goats earlier for instance it was random chance that they would climb the rocks it was random chance that that happened and like to maximize the effect of random chance you want as many variables on the table as possible and like we as a species have kind of like adapted into that as a survival strategy like we are one of the most adaptable species on the planet because we choose to just like take things as they are like work with them fix find solutions like we we put points into the idea of adaptability and the best way to be adaptable like i said is to like cover as many bases as possible which is why it's it's always fascinating to me that the idea of these like eugenesis is like okay well we're going to tightly control evolution and then you know well what happens if you come across a species that's also tightly controlling evolution but they did it a little better than you did and now our species is like fighting their species and we get fucked over because they're just better at like that well, particular kind of genetic engineering congrats we lose whereas if we have more people with more approaches more ideas more adaptions they might be able to pull shit out of their hat that you've never even contemplated For not to mention it might be a little easier to like make peace with another species if you're more open to the idea of differences and the uh-huh. viability and uh innate uh value of all living things yeah like it I don't think that we as a species could work with another species like if we were just like, no, we're all exactly the same fucking cookie cutter came out the box like this. We're all deeply antagonistic to every outsider. We're all nationalistic. Like none of these things work if we want to encounter other species in the in the galaxy with any degree of peace. And then it's just a matter of time until we find one that blows us to smithereens. Yeah, I know, well, it's like well, galaxy like, well, here, like but... fascist uh, regimes. It's not the fascist us ultimately. Well, every one of our conversations ends up being communism, fascism. It's like, well, you know, these yeah. are the struggles of our times, and they often like seven degrees from Hitler. Everything's related to this stuff pretty easily, right? Yeah. But these regimes, they end up destroying themselves because they always have to have a new opponent, a new enemy to fight to dominate. And eventually you come up against one that is bigger than you, especially if you try to fight the whole world, say. You're yeah. going to fight the whole galaxy. You're going to go out into space and fight all the aliens that you find. like, Or it, you come across a species that's more adaptable than you, which is the other thing. Like, what if all the other species are like, we're actually friends. Uh, we're not fighting one another. We're cool dudes, and we could be friends with you, but you seem like assholes, so maybe... We're gonna against. We don't really want to, but maybe we're gonna kill you. <laughs> yeah, like you know, can you imagine if we came? Like, I mean, we saw that exact scenario play out with like World War Two and Russia and America and all these countries working together versus 
you know, Nazi Germany, who was like, well, we want one kind of person, and I guess we'll sort of tentatively ally with this other group, but mostly because it's an it's convenient, not because it's something that we actually believe in. Whereas at least several of the allies were working together because they were like, well, we gotta fucking stop those guys. Let's work together on this. Like, this seems useful. This is why the strongest guy usually actually is not in charge, contrary to dumb guy beliefs. Uh, it's the person who's able to get the most strong guys together is the one who's in charge. Like, uh, yeah. ancient, uh, you know, like, or I guess, yeah, ancient, we're talking like kind of Roman, pre-Roman era, like Germanic peoples. Uh, my, I watched a few little videos about that. It was kind of neat to learn a bit about their societal structure. And a lot of it was like about, can you be a cool dude who like drinks and hangs out with bros and does cool feats of strength and is not afraid to get in a fight? Can you be like a cool guy who has lots of friends? You can call up all those tr different like leaders of different mm -hmm. clans to come fight by your side for you. That's the guy who's in charge. Any guy who's too big of an asshole because he thinks he's hot shit and he's really strong. No one... Even if you're stronger than any one group, all the other groups will get together and kick your ass. You can't be that guy. You got to be cool. You have to be chill. Uh, and, and this is where I love the the kind of like theory of evolution applied to like other concepts like organizing civilizations. You know, like what ideas worked to get us to the point where our civilization is in in this state. And like what you just brought up is, I think, a really useful component in that is like, well, okay, we've got, like, a group of a few people. Like, I can fight one person one-on-one. -on -one. Well, it's, it's, my odds are massively improved if I bring a buddy. That buddy's gonna work with me to beat you up. It was like, okay, well, then we just scale that up. And, like, now you've got a village of people. As you say, who's the person that's gonna be in charge? It's the person that can get everybody to work together to, like, deal with problems and or deal with other civilizations, like other tribes, other groups. And you just keep, like, stacking those kinds of ideas. And it's like, um, those ideas around, like, how to organize a society, how to talk to people, how to, like, make friends evolved. Like, we look at how they pieced together, how they grew from this idea of, like, well, hey, we'll just, like, walk up to these people and be like, hey, want to be friends? To the point where, like, we can organize entire cities. We can build cities. We can build these massive things that support these cities like you know you look at the roman aqueducts and things like that it's like well okay we've got this problem of people need access to water and like we've changed their main area that they're living in and that's brought up all these other problems like what can we do to adapt our city so that it doesn't collapse everybody doesn't get the plague and die of shit well like we need fresh water i was like okay well we've got all these building techniques we're applying to making our houses and our bridges, our bridges are really cool. Like, what if we did that with water? We just brought some from the nearby river. We just, like, built a bridge of water <laughs> to our city. Suddenly you have fresh water in your city. Like, revolutionary idea at the time. That's you mean, I Romans don't have to always just hang out by the water and build my city right on the water where guys could ride up or sail up to it and, and take us out in the dead of night? Yeah. Like... Without making a sound? <laughs> <laughs> and if I, if anyone wants to approach our city, they'd have to do so on horseback, perhaps via the roads that we made, perhaps even specifically not in the same size that they make their carriages in, so that it's hard for them to approach us, and we'll definitely hear and see them coming from a very long way away, and they can't possibly take us by surprise. I mean, exactly. Like, these these ideas, I don't know, they, they evolve. They, like, add to what existed before. Like, that that road idea is a prime example. Like... Okay, well, 
our enemies are using our roads. How do we fix this? Well, if we change the way that we build our carriages, we can make our roads smaller, which makes... And it's like, it probably was just a number of pieces that add up together. It's like ideas from previous things. It's like how we build stone walls from back in the day when we probably stuck some sticks in an area around our campsite to stop the animals from getting in easily. Like, you put a bunch of sharpened sticks in an area around, and then you're like, hey, if we get more sticks and we build it into, like, a wall-like structure, then it's harder for things to get in, right? This is like a conceptual wall. Like, a wall is modifying your environment to protect yourself against danger, say. Yeah. And this is like, okay, we're going to protect our our environment from danger, but we're not going to make a wall. We're going to make a different sort of barrier. It's like... An idea barrier, because their idea of what a wagon is, is different from what our idea of what a wagon is. And so we're going to put up a different idea of what a road is. And our different idea of a wagon and a road will be um, a barrier against them in their ability to attack us. And I don't know, I'm kind of interested in this idea of ideas as also a form of technology. But I like really have to pee. We should come back and talk about that thing. Yeah, I, I must admit, I do worry that we come across as, like, <laughs> I don't know, supporting, like, tweaking evolution in a, in no. a way. But I... what, I, I, what I'm thinking this whole time is about how the, pr- the process of natural selection is just, it's just an idea that we have about yeah. how things work, right? Um, but it's uh, something that's acting on every single thing everywhere all the time. Is, you know, it comes down to, as I said before, stuff that continues to exist will continue to exist, and stuff that does not continue to exist will not exist. That's all there is to it. And then there's like, you know, you can expand about how things play out, like mathematically or whatever, you can get into the genetics yeah. or whatever. But just what I'm talking about is this idea being applied to everything. Like technology is, is evolving through cultural selection where humans communicate and teach one another and come up with new ideas and create objects based on those ideas. But also there's this natural selection process on top of that of, yeah, but the ones that like work and do their job and are proliferated will continue. And the ones that don't will not continue and they'll be gone. Yeah. And that does not necessarily mean they are better. It just means they fit that circumstance. They played the meta. Yeah. Uh, And like, you know, ideas will like, they also won't go on unchanged like throughout like all ideas all concepts get adapted get evolved get changed get divided into new and interesting idea species in a way like you know to use that wall example like i started like you start with sticking some sticks in the ground to keep things away and then you're like hey well okay that adapts to like a wooden wall and that adapts to uh maybe a stone wall and then you're like oh wait we can build some other structures out of this and we're like okay well we can build ourselves a, a, a place to sleep in and it's like oh well actually we can build structures to do all sorts of things and then we start adapting structures to very specific purposes these are all just like evolutions of the idea of stick stick in the ground like yeah <laughs> hey know? if i stick a stick in the ground it stays there yeah like it can just be something as simple as normally we'd meet by the tree but then there is a fire 
and the tree's gone, or we had to go to a new area and there's no tree there. Not to worry. Thug has stuck a stick into the ground. It's like a tree. Yeah. If only there was a tree here. Well, Thug made it. There's a tree there. And now we know where to meet. Yeah, now we meet at the stick in the ground. And then maybe we make our fire near the stick. And that's where we're hanging out. And then there's times where it's like, ah, it's really cold. What if we like put like, you know, what are these skins that we huddle under like on the stick? And then we can huddle under the skin and it's like over top of us and the rain won't get on us or whatever, right? Like, yeah. hey, now you're getting a shelter going. Like, it, it, and then you add to it. Like, it's it's you're playing Minecraft out there and you're just adding on little bits. You figure out new things and it can start from very humble origins. Yeah, it it's why, like, it's interesting to me because I do feel like there is a degree of like, well, okay, certain things feel sort of ordained to have existed like it seems unlikely that any species that would reach our level of technological adaption wouldn't have something like the internet because it just sort of makes sense hey we made these machines that like talk to each other um well we made these machines that do like these complex tasks but now we want them to talk to each other so they can do even more complex tasks and then like collectively they can work as a bigger version of one of them like that's not a particularly complex structure to imagine. Like, that's been how we've adapted our society since time immemorial. We take small concept, we adapt it out, we make all the bits talk to each other, and then we make it bigger. <laughs> so I want to sort of circle back on that idea about, like, ideas mm -hmm. as technology, where, like, you have, like, the, it is, like, I suppose we, we technically uh define technology as like applied knowledge like you take your knowledge and you make something out of it but yeah. there's i've heard people argue for like the idea of social technologies like say religion as mm -hmm. a kind of social technology where it's this this thing that people kind of came up with who knows you know i'm not going to say it's real or fake or whatever right it's like they observed something and they came up with an idea of understanding it, that something. And then that applies in their lives, how they organize their lives. They make structures based off of that knowledge. Like it's, it's, this thing is quite clearly, it's, I suppose it's what we call it, like a meme to a degree, right? It's yeah. a unit of information that yeah. is passed on and humans benefit from it in various ways. And so you can have ideas like communism and that's how you're structuring your life and your society and you build things based on this and, you can plug in other ideas into it, but they will be ideologically applied. Uh, whatever your guiding structure to how you organize the world or your society, that's going to govern how you apply the other technologies. Yeah. And then you could come up against incompatible ideas and technologies, uh, whether it's some incompatible belief with your structure or an incompatible technology, like their roads are different from your carts. Because you mm -hmm. guys have different ideas about carts and roads. Now you're trying to stick Lego onto Duplo. They don't doesn't go together. Mega blocks and Lego can't fit together properly. They kind of do. I totally yeah. overlap them. But some of them, they just don't. Dollar store Lego, hit or miss. Yeah. And so like sometimes you get incompatible applied memes of like with social technologies. Like a I mean I, don't know. I, I definitely I, I think I, I understand the concept you're you're grasping at there that you're trying to like uh, convey i what i what was sticking what was sticking in my brain for me was like this idea of like technology and these ideas sometimes you'll have an idea that is counter to the system that you grew up in but it is still informed by it like you'll have something that undermines how things are done now 
um, again, like, you know, you look at the, um, the example with the goat or one of my other favorite examples is like of like evolution that we've seen was during the, the period where in England they were going through the Industrial Revolution and they were just spitting coal into the air fucking everywhere. And all the plants, all the trees nearby had this particular species of gray moth that suddenly were landing on these black trees because these trees were just covered in coal dust and they'd get picked off. But they had a small, like, just genetic variation where some of them had black, like, appearance and what have you. Suddenly, their numbers shot up. So the entire species basically shifted to, like, 99% black moths as opposed to gray moths because suddenly that was the trait that was super, like, super useful under this very particular circumstance and it's it's like if they were just min maxing to be all gray moths then they'd go extinct yeah it's like it's that small percentage that let the species survive and then when they put controls in place to reduce the amount suddenly gray is what the trees returned to and suddenly it came back from that previous adaption to once again being gray it's like okay this is a weird one but like the idea of the moth species is contained in either genetic code, right? Like the black yeah. moths and the gray moths, they're all the same moths. And they got basically each contains the other in some way. Yeah. And but by having the allowance for the difference between them, they could allow their species to continue. Whereas if they only invested in one type and that one type did not contain the other type or the potential for the other type, then they would not continue to exist. And so you need that wiggle room. You need this diversity that allows for change because that's the one constant in life is change. Yeah. Like, so in this example, to to draw it to something like more um, kind of thought related, like, you know, like I was saying, the ideology idea of like your constructed context, your constructed environment, you might have an idea that, is counter to the way things work right now, but might actually be far more useful under a very different set of circumstances that you don't know if that's arriving or something like that. You know, like the goats that adapted the ability to, like, just process the salt from licking rocks. Like, that's a weird side jaunt that seemed entirely irrelevant prior to that. In fact, it was actively harmful prior to them climbing on rocks. But then suddenly that random genetic chance meant that, oh, well, actually these ones are doing better in this new environment that came about due to other circumstances. This makes more sense. Like, um, to to bring it back to, like, capitalism, uh, communism, etc., because that's where we end up so often. Like, Marx even spoke about the idea of, like, communism not being able to succeed until capitalism had existed for a while, because it brought about the kind of industrial change that was necessary for socialism to effectively exist, for it to function, because we needed to go through the stage of, of capitalism. Now, I know I'm sort of a little bit bastardizing Marx's work, and Russia went on to later, like, speedrun fucking yeah. industrialization. <laughs> well, that primitive accumulation, right? They gotta yeah. build up that stuff. But, you know, like with the Russian example, from what I understand... They had a bit of a rough time of it doing so. Turns it wasn't out you, great. You for can't do people. that. Yeah, like I mean, they clearly did, but it wasn't 
great. Well, like you get you get deaths that would have played out over centuries, crunched up into a you know lifetime. Yeah, it's like you know, but that is an idea that came about under a system that is like vehemently opposed to it. That I it feels like something that you know I guess we're sort of staunch socialists so it's hard to like um imagine it any other way but it feels like (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean at this point i'm not quite a card carrying member but it's just because i haven't figured out exactly which flavor of communist i am i'm pretty sure a knocker communist but it's still figuring it out um sorry weird tangent anyway uh like just the idea that you know we had to go through capitalism to get to a point where communism is possible and like we've seen failures but we're also seeing the effects of capitalism having this kind of like continuing burn on people and like people are less efficient under capitalism we can see this the more capitalism applies the pressure the less people are you know working happily comfortably we're falling apart doing the bare minimum of maintenance like in some countries just isn't enough anymore people are starting to like literally fall to pieces and not the economy is getting worse we're all under more and more pressure more and more people feel the need for an idea that changes that system that looks at that system and is like well this is hurting people what can we do that would be more cooperative that would like get more people happy and comfortable and productive it's uh it's interesting you have to go through these different stages like this placeholder position that that's what you can work at that time it's it's hard maybe you just can't make the leap of understanding your you, your brain cannot even fathom this other idea but you could fathom this stepping stone idea that yeah. you go to and then you hold on to that and it kind of works but it has its problems and then you develop to a point where you're like oh you know what actually though we could do this And you get for that, you know, and the idea with Marx was there was a progression there of what, like the primitive life to the more feudal life to the capitalist life to that communist life or the stages of that, right? The social democracy or whatever, like socialism into communism, which ideally becomes a kind of uh, anarchy where everything's just distributed equally or whatever, evenly, even, even, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, authority uh like you know like a horizontal distribution of a horizontal hierarchy hierarchy yeah sure we'll do that yeah i guess that's sort of a misnomer but but anyways the whole um the whole thing is uh you you got to get through one to get to another and uh it's about i guess like we can conceive of things that are better like you know we all often have like some high conversation with a friend that they got their like brilliant social structure they've come up with or whatever and it's like yeah okay but how do you get there yeah do, do you, ha- you can't just be like yeah let's just do this like how are you going to convince this ocean liner of humanity to change course you're going to have to get them into something what's the process by which people change their minds about how things should work like you're talking about in worsening conditions and like that's the sort of thing you kind of need is people have to be made to do something they have to have a reason for it if they don't have a reason for it why would they change things are working yep. well for them i mean it, it's a you know i think anybody in in a minority knows how difficult it can be for people in the majority to recognize struggles that aren't their own and like in a similar degree like we need enough dissatisfaction for people to wake the fuck up and like you know 
I know that the, the, the alt-right and the right wing loves to call things woke and it's sort of a, a joke term, but at the same time, like, there is a degree of, like, you, you do sort of need to wake the fuck it's like up. A, a consciousness shift. You need to be perceiving a dimension you weren't perceiving before. Yeah, you need to look beyond the bubbles of, like, what is your perceived reality in order to see the, like, complexities and, and the, the difficulties that other people are going through. But often, in order to do that, you kind of have to have your bubble burst. Like, a lot of people who are not very self-aware... You know, they'll opine for simpler times, their childhood or what have you, or the era that their childhood took place in, all the while failing to realize, apparently, that the world was just as complicated and difficult and and, and fucked up, to pardon my French. Oh, uh, it yeah. was, you know, still the same old world, but you were a little child that didn't know anything. People shielded you from a lot of that stuff, chances are, but whatever was going on at home, perhaps. But, like, you... If you're if you're feeling nostalgic about this, it's because you had a different view on things, and you just were not aware of things. Well, I saw one of the most brain dead takes I've ever seen recently. It was somebody had like I think tweeted or posted on Tumblr or something like that. Just this idea of like there was a video of high school from like the nineties. And they were like, oh, yeah, it was a simpler time when I was in high school. And like, you know, things weren't so political. And I was like, buddy, you live in a fucking country that like every morning all of your children are reciting a pledge of allegiance to a fucking flag. That's like on the same level as like having having your president's photo in your textbooks and being like, all hail the supreme leader. Like, and that's political, my dude. Not to mention like. <laughs> The politics was going on whether you knew about it or not. Like, yeah. you just were insulated from love. Chances are these people are usually white. Yeah. You know, they're usually cis and straight. So there's, like, a whole multiple layers of politics that they just never had to engage with. So they're like, oh, yeah, I was in a nice little bubble where I got to be a child and never had to think about bigger problems. Yeah. And, and then just, you know, things were different then and now they're all different now. Like, yeah, they are different, but not in that way. There was always these problems you know trans and gay and, and black people were here all along my dude the problems that beset them were even worse than chances are yeah and you just now are being made aware of it and you're resistant to that consciousness shift because you want to stay in the pleasant reality where you didn't have to do anything and you could be a child yeah i wish i could be a kid again sometimes too it also really sucked in other ways high school certainly sucked yeah but like you know uh you can't it's like we we're talking about this my partner and i were talking about this the other night of, like, the Matrix, ugh, typical trans conversation. Yeah. Uh, but, like, about how, like, you wake up in the horrible world and, like, you couldn't... Like, there's this urge, you know, like, Buck Angel, Cypher, as uh, the urge mm -hmm. to go back kind of thing, right? And I don't want to retread... We talked about the Matrix in our Eldritch episode. Yeah, but, like, but... but, like, that desire to go back to a simpler time, go back asleep, but you can't. What you really are wishing for is that this wasn't true. That yeah. this uncomfortable truth you've come upon, that uh, you can't forget it now that you've seen it. You, you couldn't responsibly forget it. Like, we think that guy's an asshole for being willing to, to sell out his friends to go back to sleep. Yeah. Like, you can't in good conscience go back to sleep. What you wish is you could wake up again. And that was all a dream and that wasn't true. Yeah. But unfortunately, no, this is the truth. And this is what you have to face. And how you choose to face that is up to you. But, uh, so there's a lot of people that they respond to an uncomfortable truth and they go, no, I would, I would like to stay asleep, please, actually. That's a much more pleasant reality for me to be in. 
Well, I, I think like the other interesting thing is like the Matrix. It's a very final drop into awareness, whereas awareness isn't really quite like that. It's it's very seldom here. Take a pill, and now you now you know. Now you're woken up to the no. to the universe. It's like no, you, you. It's much more like waking up in the morning where you're a little blurry eyed, and you're like, wait, where the fuck am I? And imagine waking up without realizing it that you've been moved to a completely different room. Like yeah. you wake up in a whole totally new place you've never seen before. You might be yeah. a little confused about it, but you also will be like, whoa things are different i can see they're clearly different yeah but you'll do it slowly you won't just be like okay i'm wide awake it's typically like if you wake up perfectly comfortably with no other interactions you're just gonna slowly drift awake and realize that your surroundings are not what they were 20 minutes ago fuck what the hell happened well it's that sort of slow boil of a lot of things where you'll have a, a consciousness shift or or like that the overton window shift over yeah. time before you realize that you're in a completely new society ship of theseus kind of thing where you slowly change things a little bit and you just don't realize it until it's too late sort of yeah right and uh yeah like i guess that process by which that happens is i think in many ways like i'm not going to be like oh yeah it's all a conspiracy where they're trying to like do the new world order they're going to change take away little bits of your society over time it's more like this is a natural process that happens over time, whether humans are aware of it or not. Yeah. And much like becoming aware of, you know, your own genetics or whatever and becoming self-conscious about how your choices in the world ultimately have genetic outcomes in some capacity. This is like, okay, now I'm aware that my actions in the world affect our cultural, uh, you know, descendancy or whatever right the the cultural lineage that we're going to be creating we're now effectively choosing yeah but even within that there's a layer of it that is outside of your control you can choose all you want but if other people aren't making the same choice or circumstances are not going to be conducive to your ridiculous idea like say you cling to the idea that fossil fuels aren't causing global warming and you just keep on going for fossil fuels and then your civilization collapses because you run out of them and or ruin the planet and die <laughs> like you can do that all you want but you'll be selected for there's this yeah. natural selection process acting on your ideas regardless of what you choose to do yeah that is like you know we we see that with the the upper the the rise in people complaining and making a lot of noise and a lot more effort around like the fact that our planet is being consumed by like bullshit like we're just poisoning our planet more and more people are getting upset as they realize that this is not okay this isn't something that we can accept and that is like that's an idea that is losing ground the idea of opening more fossil fuels pisses off most people like yeah you might have the power to push it through now but that's that's changing like that is changing you can't like most companies can't hope to make a lot of profit if they're actively telling everyone that's buying their shit like yeah no we're poisoning the planet we're fucking it over we're just taking yeah. a piss in the in the pool of life fuck everything that this planet is about we just want to make money nobody's gonna buy your shit because it's like everybody's gonna be like what the what the fuck bud like why are you why are you doing this yeah um you know but there are still people who cling to these ideas like you know you look at the cryptocurrency shit the nft shit 
It's just, you know, I think I'm, we've mentioned it before, but just this idea of, like, 90s cartoon villain, just plug in my pollution machine yeah. prints money somehow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna profit from all this pollution I'm causing! But even those, like, you know, NFTs crashed hard because most people realized this was a scam. And then it had knock-on effects on the cryptocurrency market because more and more people were like, hey, this is dodgy. This is, why are we doing this exactly? This, I mean, here's an idea that took hold, uh, like a mind virus. Yeah. A woke mind virus took hold of, of humanity and caused us to create technology that, uh, you know, benefited it, reproduced it. Yeah. And then it, it spiraled out of control and destroyed itself, much like a cold eventually is overcome. Yeah. Or, or a, a disease that kills people too quickly and they die out before they can spread it to other people. You know, this thing, this little mind virus, and it's still going, you know, it's still in the system. Who knows what it's going to do? But it was blossoming and people, you know, dummies were like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a big thing. But that, of course, was only because people accepted the idea into their hearts. You accept this idea that comes to you. Oh, yeah, I believe that. That's true to me. I'll take that. I'll give you my money and I'll buy a rig of computer to do the pollution machine to make number go up. And then, uh, but eventually, of course, it's all bunk. It's all silly nonsense. And people realized it's a big scam because people were also treating it like a scam, like scamming people. And, you know, maybe if they'd thought about it differently and didn't try to scam people, it could have been something. But who knows? That's that's its whole other, like, interesting, like, subtopic is, like, all the scams that get run on cryptocurrency that were basically variations of the same scams that were used to in various other things. So they're the real woke mind virus. Like, the scams are parasitic viruses within human interaction. This idea, this meme exists within us of how to scam people. And we're doing it. No matter what, it will fill whatever cup we put it into socially. Because that's how we run our lives. You structure your life around scamming people. You've got no compulsion, compunction about, uh, you know, screwing over your fellow man. So you do that and you run these patterns. And then this new technology comes along uh, that allows you to scam people in a whole new way, but also the same old way you've already been doing it, just in a new dimension. And then it parasitizes this other idea and then implodes it. Pretty much. And like, you know, it feels like this thing that's sort of inevitable because what's the fittest? What is the the circumstances that we've created as being the fittest for our continued survival? Well, under our current system, in order to succeed and have the most likelihood of like propagating and being comfortable, etc., we've created this idea of like screwing over other people for money. Like, money is the goal, and screwing people over is one of the easiest ways to achieve that goal. But we're also, like, reaching the point where we're realizing that if too many people are screwing everyone over, there's going to be a couple of people at the top of the pile, and everybody else dead underneath them. Well, like, there probably always were within our society, you know, human, there's, 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 like, loafers. There's people that, like, they're lazy, they don't want to help anybody, and... You can tolerate a certain number of them. Maybe it's even useful to have some of them. I can believe there's a use for having a shyster on your team. Absolutely. You know, you send the shyster over to screw over your enemy or something, right? Like, I can believe that maybe having someone who hangs out on the couch all day isn't the worst thing. And they can at least watch the kids, even if they do a shitty job of it. I don't know. But like, if but if you min-max your society because some nerd looked at the spreadsheet and they're like, you know, if everybody was just a shyster, they'd make more money or whatever, right? Like, so everyone's going to do that. Like, 
No, the whole thing falls apart. You have to have some people who aren't shysters. Yeah, well, it's like, well, you know, you can't grift grifters nearly as easily. Well, I say that. Typically, grifters are mostly just grifting each other. But that's because we've reached a point where, like, that is what becomes the most useful. But it's not the most, like, effective in that system, even. Because what you actually want is mostly people who aren't grifters being grifted. As weird as it is to say that's what you want, like, you know grifting only works if enough of the population isn't grifting because if everyone's grifting there's not enough to be taken from any nobody's producing anything useful everyone's just trying to steal everybody else's stuff well let's say there's i don't know a hundred sandwiches and like a hundred people if one person is a grifter they're trying to get all the sandwiches from the other people but if everybody's grifting that's a hundred sandwiches like the that number isn't changing. If all they're doing is grifting and nobody's making more sandwiches, you just you're just shuffling things around. Yeah, you're shuffling what what gets used around until it's gone. At which stage, what do you do? What do you do to get more sandwiches into the system of people who are hungry? Well, well if you don't have anybody making sandwiches, you're fucked. You starve. You die. Because your your sandwiches <laughs> get nasty and, and rancid. You've been sitting on them as a commodity that you want to speculate yeah. on. Their <laughs> their value is only going to go up as there's fewer and fewer sandwiches. Right. <laughs> like you have one asshole at the top of the pile who's eating steadily more rotten fucking sandwiches. Mm, they're really good. You should buy them. <laughs> Oh, it's it's a disturbingly apt metaphor, I feel, for, like, our fucking state of survival. You know, uh, of course, conning, scamming, another word for it is confidence game. You mm-hmm. have to get people to believe in you in order to pull it off, right? You have to get them to buy into your idea. Crypto yeah. is only going to work, quote unquote, if people bought into it. And that became the new norm, right? You can only scam people within crypto if they buy the crypto hype and believe that your coin, Dogecoin or whatever, is going to make money. They got to believe you and then buy the, you know, the coin from you and then, you know, stick around long enough for you to pull out, rug pull them or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, and so anything, anytime they're trying to push a new thing, AI, capitalism, uh, the new movie, new Marvel movie or whatever, they want you to, they're trying to get you to buy into an idea so that they can then grift you. And yeah. I'm not going to say everything's a grift, but also I think everything is a grift. Everything's new is a trick. Don't trust anything. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not quite as, as on board with that um, approach. But yes, I do agree that like so much stuff is a grift. Like so much new shit is just a grift. And, and that could be just like, it. I'm not going to say it's just a product of our current time, but I think there's so many because the current system is stuck. The current idea of how we manage society is stuck and we need to move on to a new idea. But as long as we're stuck there, no one's making any new sandwiches. We're just shuffling sandwiches around and grifting sandwiches out of one another and pretending that sandwiches like are worth more than they really are, say, and like, you know, sitting on stuff. And not actually doing what needs to be done. And we need to get to a new place that allows us to now actually do things again. Yeah. I I think, like, you know, perhaps an even better description would be, like, there's maybe one or two people making actual fucking sandwiches. And the rest are, like, swapping them around. It's true, yeah. Just so that they all land on one person's huge pile. Meanwhile, 
the people that are actually making the sandwiches are steadily running out of the fucking sandwiches to eat. Well, especially since so much of the system is based around doing other weirdo, you know, investment, real estate, like money multipliers that are ultimately fake and based entirely on speculation and tricking people. And so now the system is balanced around, oh, I've got like a gabajillion sandwiches on paper and now you should all have that too. Oh, what's that? You don't? Because you don't invest in property and you don't run, uh, you know, uh, stock scams and you're not just multiplying money with imaginary numbers that you can get to if you manage to inherit enough of daddy's money. Then, oh, too bad for you. I guess you can't afford any sandwiches because they cost a thousand dollars each now. Like you are allowing the system to be balanced as like because people are doing this other weirdo stuff instead of actually doing real stuff. Yeah, Uh, like. Even, I mean, this is where, like, another sort of avenue for me that's fascinating about the, like, stock market and what have you is the idea of how these ideas evolved to to reach the point where people are, like, speculating on things that don't exist or they're, like, speculating on potential value of things down the line and they're placing bets with other speculations. And it's just, like, you've got this tower of weird fucking numbers, effectively, that doesn't actually mean anything, because it's all built on this weird, like, container, containerized little stock market exchange system doing its own kind of weird evolution to just make itself worse, in my opinion. Make itself, like, better at fucking us over. Well, it's being selected for it. They've selected for its survival of the profits, right? Yeah. Whatever makes the most money continues on. We've probably beaten this horse quite a bit on yeah. this podcast, but it's the truth. Like, that's how capitalism works. It's just survival of the, the richest, most profits. And you're not selecting for good stuff. You're not automatically no. selecting for the best product, best service, best system for the humanity and dignity of your civilization, the people that live here. Yeah. You're, you're just selecting for whatever makes some guy money. And that's, okay, good for that guy, I guess. Um, but that's... You, the system's going to break down. It's for everyone else. And your whole thing's going to come crashing down eventually if you keep doing that. Yeah. But, but we, we don't know. We've bought into this idea... Of this is how the best way to run things is and yeah i mean this is where it's like you know we <laughs> we've come a long way to once again be like yeah well socialism is the future um but like you know socialism is predicated on the idea of like being good to each other and like i evolutionarily that just feels like a better approach of just like hey why don't we just all be good to each other and give each other the opportunities that we can in ways that don't cost ourselves like that's i don't know that's the beauty of those kinds of ideas is like well we're just helping each other out to make things better for everyone and like that means that the best ideas the ideas that actually fit the society not the manufactured artificial ones but the actual best ideas that help me make our lives better are the ones that will survive not the ones that will just make some rich dipshit some more money unfortunately you get the multiplying power of technology uh it allows one dipshit to have disproportionate power which is like their ultimate power fantasy right they all all want to be superheroes they all want to be supermen ubermensch they want to be above other people orders of magnitude above other people and they want that multiplying power of technology to give them enough power to sabotage any other collective effort and keep power for themselves and uh i don't know i'm not gonna say like yeah that means technology is innately fascist and we need to go back to monkey like that's silly but like 
I think there is this, we're talking about the evolution of tech and how it influences society. I feel like it's kind of inevitable within this process where there's going to be any tech you develop as a human species, as long as the idea of selfishness is around, which I don't see how it would not be, uh, there's going to be some people that selfishly use it and perhaps influence things in their favor and have, they seize power for themselves as a bad actor. It's how do you get everybody on board, right? Like you can't. Yeah. And not still uh, foster the diversity that we claim to care about too, right? Like, I don't want to brainwash anybody. I don't want to force anybody. No. But like, at the same time, what do you do with a drunken sailor or, <laughs> or some evil CEO who's got the power of technology that was supposedly created for the communal good, wielding it his own, you know, for his own benefit to exploit others? Well, what's interesting to me is that like, if people, if so let's say we we play this game of like the richest person just keeps getting more and more of the the wealth and and like uses technology to exploit other people and what have you if they're only out for their own self-gain they're only going to give themselves more good stuff and eventually choke out everyone else which leaves them without people to produce things and it's like okay well even if robots could take over all of the production necessary for this person to survive that also means that they're the last of their species. Like, that's what happens with a monopoly. You're the last. And usually a monopoly is then steadily going to fall apart without being propped up by other structures. Because it's just going to keep, like, drawing as much from the people that want it until it's either smashed to pieces, which is what we've seen countless times in, like, businesses and what have you, where they've, like, grown to a monopoly. They're like, okay, well, now we're charging $600 for a loaf of bread. Fuck you, you if you want anything else and people are like well nah we're just gonna take it fuck you all of us together are gonna beat the shit out of you and take your bread and now we're gonna sell it to each other for like 50 cents a piece because like why why would we do it any other way or you succeed and your robots keep the people from overtaking the factory and owning the the means of production that allow them to make bread for each other for like less than that so the last few starving humans put their last pennies together to buy your loaves of bread, starved to death, because that's it. I wish that you don't have anybody to sell it to. So what's your giant pile of money useful for? What did you gain out of this? You've got a giant pile of bread and a giant pile of money. You can survive until you eventually die of a fucking heart attack from eating just bread. <laughs> yeah, like in a, maybe like you're going to conquer at the end of Conquer's Bad Fur Day. Sitting on his throne, all bitter. He lost his girlfriend. He got all the money, but it doesn't matter. You're, you're, or a, to a less dorky, but honestly still kind of dorky example. You're uh, Citizen Kane, Herman Foster Kane, sitting in his palace, all alone, with just his rosebud snow globe, which isn't a rosebud, <laughs> but he says it when he dies. Yeah, and nobody can figure it out. It's like, oh, it was the last time he was happy when oh, he was a fucking child What a little shit. loser. His whole like, life sucked. <laughs> Everyone hates him. Yeah, like, what a way to go. Oh, yeah, he was extremely successful. No, everyone will remember you for your 2014 Doge memes. Yeah, everyone will think you're super cool and epic. Oh, God. Like, I mean, you know, I, I, I know we sometimes turn this into a bit of, like, ragging on on him but guy sucks folks he sucks <laughs> so <sighs> is it a front to human dignity that anybody thinks he's cool i don't know if you saw this but like so today it's it's what tuesday the or wednesday like early in early in april um 
two days two days ago he changed the twitter logo to the dogecoin yeah. logo what the hell's with that it's made the dogecoin spike in oh value. okay so you know in response to getting in trouble for fucking like fraudulently inflating the value of um the dogecoin last time he's like well, I'm just going to change the logo because somebody dared me to as a joke. And he was like, well, that would be like, what did you say? Puggers or something? Oh, I was like, God. Oh, just... he's so with the meme. <laughs> like, oh, God. And so now it's it's the Doge logo. And I was like, what a what an absolute tosser. And like, he's, this is another example of like, he's collected so much shit from so many people. He's collected so much money. He's stepped on so many people. And what's he left with? He's left with, Twitter, which is mostly just alt-right shitheads that are steadily getting more and more bored of his antics. And some people that like his jokes. Like, yeah, he's pretty comfortable, but how much longer is that going to last? He's steadily eroding everything that, like, he's built up until this point. This is just... You just make AI that laugh at all your jokes. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I mean, exactly I know he's, like, anti-AI, supposedly, but I, I doubt that. I think he just wants to be able to control it. Well, he's, this is one of those funny ones. He likes to say he's anti-AI, but he also likes to say that he's fucking, Tesla is like the leading AI company on the planet. Like, in the same fucking breath, he'll be like, yeah, AI is dangerous, but also we're the ones who have the best AI that exists, possibly. That's totally, like, you know, I think a lot of people have said that, like, all the AI hype is just, like, tech people trying to be like, oh yeah, our product's so good, you should be afraid of it and give us money, like... It's that kind of thing. Oh, we got to be really concerned about AI, but also my company is the leading AI thing. Because I'm I'm so smart and it's so powerful. The thing I could make, right? What is this? Dystopia marketing? Like, (laughs) yeah, it's it's, it's ruling with fear. Like, the fear of the product that you're making. Like, why are you making it, dude? (laughs) Like, stop. If it's this dangerous, why why are you doing this? I might put the fire on the firecrackers. (laughs) Might light the fuse. I mean, this is the other thing is like every so often, like there's a part of me that doesn't want to let go of the idea of accelerationism. I know I've, I I think you and I have spoken about this before, but like there's a little part of me that is like, well, for things to get better, they probably have to get worse first. I don't want them to get worse. I don't want to see people suffering, but we are seeing a steadily, a steady growth of people suffering. And that's what's necessary to get people to like wake the fuck up and just participate in like changing the system. But, like, he does feel like he's just fucking lighting firecrackers over here. And these companies feel like they're just lighting firecrackers to just, I don't know, set things off. Like, we're going to make things way worse, and you should support us in this endeavor somehow. And it's like, well, um, I don't want to support them in this endeavor. But if they keep at it, I, all I could see is just like, yeah, things are going to get worse. And that means that that system is going to topple your shit like how are you marketing to people that are like actively afraid of your products won't eventually people get pissed off enough that they exist and kick your fucking house down i think accelerationism is i think a silly way to approach it i think the way to think about it more is yeah things do have to get worse before they get better but that just means like when things are getting worse at least you can know that it can like this is pushing us in a direction that is not hopeless change can come out of this what i'm going to do is focus in my own life creating the structures that i'd like to see in the world like maybe 
Uh, we're talking about a more communal way of living. Well, you could be a little more communal. You could spend a little more time with your friends, do yeah. more favors for one another, interact with real people in the real world, and like be involved in each other's lives. That's a great start towards like mutual aid and real communal ways of living that when the things get worse and the times get harder, not to worry. I've got my friends with me. We're looking out for each other. Yeah. You're not in it alone that way. And you're not accelerating anything. You can't accelerate it. It's happening. It's a process that's bigger than you. It'll happen. It doesn't mean you don't act when the time is right to act in terms of like, I don't know what, a protest, a demonstration, hell, yeah. an election of sorts, perhaps who knows what the circumstance is that the action needs to be. Yeah. But it's I mean, about, you know, the here and now, what are we doing? Being with each other, helping yeah. each other, relying on one another. Then when the bad times come, we're ready. Yeah, I I think that's like that's really um, that's that's kind of where I've landed as well. Is like I guess I call myself an accelerationist every now and then, but the truth is that every time I get the opportunity, I vote for people that make things easier now for people that are suffering. Like that's going to be my aim every single time. So yeah, like I I think you know I think that's a really good point about accelerationism. Like it's not about it, it's about seeing the hope in the darkness that we keep seeing seeing the hope in this pressure this mounting pressure if you just try and pour gasoline on the fire you're not really doing anything to the fire the fire is bigger than you you're just going to burn yourself up yeah and probably a bunch of other people closest to you uh you know like you're better off building up we, we, we focus so much on tearing down the bad you got to build up the good yeah you got to build up structures within your own life that are creating value for you make your life the way you want it to be include the people you love in your life and it won't be so stressful i know easier said than done it's hard to yeah. do there's a lot of barriers to that a lot of conceptual barriers to that or we're worried about being rude or taking up somebody else's time because we're so used to being burnt out everybody else must be so burnt out too they couldn't possibly have the energy to help me like there's a lot of fears there. There's distances. Sometimes our friends, our closest, most beloved friends are people we know on the internet. They, yeah. they live in another country or on the other side of the country. Yeah. There's that. There's, you could live somewhere where there's big, dumb highways everywhere and it's hard to physically get around. I get that's a barrier. I get that people have disabilities and it's hard to do things that way. Yeah. But those people that have disabilities, they should be taken care of by the people that don't have disabilities in that sense, right? <laughs> Surely we should exactly. have, have friends. It's good to just be friends with as many people as possible, different types of people. I'm not saying you should go out and fetishistically get a disabled friend or whatever, but like, you know, if you have a disabled friend, it might be cool of you to do some mutual aid if they need it, right? Like, Well, like, I just want to like add to that by saying like at at one point my ex I I dated a guy who had um a disability and it changed my perspective on a number of things even just how I thought about things and like I like to think I was fairly like you know positive around disability and and how society like doesn't deal with it very well but like seeing the kind of problems that he has seeing the kind of stuff that he has to go through seeing the design choices that places and spaces make that just excluded him was really interesting it was really useful um and it's like one of those things is like well you know how about you you like exchange perspective for some assistance they have people dealing with disabilities have 
such a fascinating perspective around society because of the ways that they are excluded around it. And like we have, I, I'd like to think most minorities have that kind of perspective, like because we're faced with seeing the world and how it excludes us, we have perspectives that people who aren't in those situations don't. And like that leads to interesting new ideas that leads to new concepts that leads to things that make the world better. Like we've seen that time and time again, like, you know, disability aids are extremely useful for regular like able-bodied people uh, not regular uh using I, the wrong words but I, we, like, we, we placeholder terms we know that we should mean it's not I, we can talk about how language shapes thought but you yeah. know what jenna means the average there's more people who are not in wheelchairs than are in wheelchairs it's... yeah and like you know what like let's be honest mobility scooters are pretty cool they have some pretty helpful applications in certain spaces they lead to all sorts of things like where we place ramps how we design structures all of these things like you know where we place elevators in buildings makes a lot of difference and the same difference that might make for a wheelchair user makes the same difference for somebody with a stroller for instance mm -hmm. like the fact that a lot of the sky trains around here for instance the elevator is often opposite to the largest opening for wheelchairs and uh, strollers and things like that is makes no fucking sense because it means that like if you're in a um like a wheelchair and you're trying to like scan in you have to go through the thing and then wade your way through the wall of people to get to the elevator to get up to the next level like that's madness why is it like that well because nobody thought about it mm. like i don't know there's there's so much like perspective and usefulness and like if that was switched around it would be useful for more and more people oh but yeah but they're not thinking about that because the normal usual is just someone on two feet going to work we need to facilitate people getting to work quickly and those yeah. people with strollers and wheelchairs they're not working they're doing unimportant non uh factoring into this equation work doesn't matter though no, they're parasites we need to get those workers on the train fast as possible to get them to their jobs even though like that is a thing that stops people from having easier access to work like if you are disabled and you use a wheelchair and you need to get to work now it's just that much harder. Now it's just another burden in your fucking way, making you more tired, making you less able to do the work that they want of able-bodied, so-called able-bodied people. Not to mention that wading through, aren't that's interrupting people too, right? Like, yeah. it would be easier for everybody if you didn't have to wade through to get to the elevator. If you have any kind of heavy load, you can just get right to the elevator and get it up there. Yeah. You know, it's not about moving through a whole crowd with a whole big thing. Yeah, but uh, I want to I want to circle back around more to technology and and how evolution is, shapes it over time. Uh, I, I feel like there's still some a little bit more meat on that bone about like how it evolves, what the the selection pressures are on it. Uh, did you have any specific thoughts though? Like I feel like we've talked a lot here, but we didn't talk a lot about like what you were thinking about regarding this when this whole thing came to you. Well, funnily enough, I was I was originally thinking about the the example of like wolves and dogs and how that is in a sense a form of technology that we've um, kind of like adapted. Biotechnology. Like, yeah, which I know I've, I've mentioned in a previous episode or two that I have like this 
thing where I think like more sci-fi should delve into the idea of like bioengineered tools. Well, we are, we do have bioengineered tools, right? We got enzymes, insulin. That's yeah. a bioengineered tool. Like it's a cyborg. It's this organic compound inside. No, it's not an organism, but it's like this this two pieces of it, right? Yeah. A little syringe full of a necessary enzyme that you inject into yourself. It, it's it's honestly pretty cool the fact that like we produce you know for for us in particular hormones stuff like that is really fucking cool to me and the idea that so much technology and so many sci-fi settings don't play in that space seems weird to me but like that's the thing is like i was thinking about those kinds of ideas i was thinking about like how dogs how, how our connection with dogs has led to the idea of like um and i'm pretty sure it the the fossil record implies that we domesticated dogs before we domesticated many other species but like how the concept of domesticating dogs which probably to some degree helped domesticate themselves led us to being able to domesticate things like cows and yeah, chickens and I, how would you round up cattle and horses and things without some dog chasing them with you like this can be really hard well, like, I mean, us as a species had been doing that to some degree, but, like, the idea of farming them, how do you keep them under control? Well, like, we we evolved alongside dogs to use them as companions that helped us in those endeavors. At the very least, it makes sense that it would just happen first. It's not to say it's impossible for it. Perhaps it did happen in other places where, yeah. you know, humans uh, got this other animal first. But, like, it just makes sense. No, that's the one that happens first, typically. If yeah. we were to play this out again... Chances are it's going to be that one that happens first because dogs are more likely to approach you. Wolves are more likely to approach you, say, and get that food or whatever. Whereas yeah. a deer ain't going to do that. They're scared of everybody. They're going to kill them, right? Yeah. And so you're more likely to have a carnivore, say, approach you rather than a herbivore. Because yeah, they're not actually friendly. They're very scared of you and they'll kill you if they have to. Well, I would say even like an omnivore, especially. Which oh, yeah. Dogs yeah, that's true to, to, you. A, to a degree are. But not... somebody who is not their whole life isn't about running away from somebody trying to kill them and that you as a human would very likely be trying to kill and eat yeah like you ain't you ain't convincing a deer to come have an interaction with you because most of the time you're shooting a deer with an arrow yeah but a, a wolf having an interaction with a wolf it's like maybe this very powerful and scary animal that you can't even believe it's coming up to you and you might be kind of as a curious human like oh man that's really neat holy shit, this is a magical moment we're having here. And then it turns out he wants food. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I could see that kind of interaction happening first. And yeah. then that facilitates the other interactions where you can bully a deer into a corral and, you know, make it have babies or whatever. Like, yeah, like, you know, I, I, I does feel like that's that's the kind of, like, progression. And that's where my brain was, like, getting stuck in this sort of idea of, like... Like, how the stepping stones that you'd go through to get to next level of biotech. Yeah. To get to, like, deer grafts where you can graft antlers onto your head. And where you, then you're, you're a cute little deer boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, I know too many furries. Uh, like, I, I feel the need, especially after the, the chipmunk episode. Uh, I'm not a furry. I just think they're neat. Yeah, I am I, what I would call a borderline furry. I'm, I'm very here for the aesthetic. I'm quite here for a lot of the, the vibes there. Not as sold on like fursuits and things like that, just because I think I would 
immediately perspire and die. Oh, that, that's that's definitely a step way too far. A few steps too far for me, I think. Yeah. It's more like, I, I think I was talking to you about the other day about this, like the, uh, in a, I took animation in school, and we had like a storytelling class, and it was about how like, it's easier to tell a story with an anthropomorphic animal than it is to tell a story with a human. It's, yeah. You get that uncanny valley department real quick with drawing humans, whereas you draw an animal and you can fudge it a bit. And yeah. then you, you, it's easier to tell a convincing story with emotive characters that people relate to universally. Yeah. With, with humans, now it comes like, oh, are they black humans? Are they white humans? That's a dynamic that's coming into it. Whereas if you draw animals, you can sidestep a lot of these complex, you know, human interaction things and tell a simpler story with less worry about representation. It's it's also, it can serve as a really interesting kind of shorthand for the kind of character that it's supposed to be. Um, yeah. If you look at like the uh, the uh, the Robin Hood, the animated uh, Robin Hood with the the fox. Oh, we love idea. that's. I know that's a, that's like the ur furry text, but it is a great movie. I do like it. It is, and like you see how the characters play out in the different roles, and you get a lot about the character from what animal they're like represented. Oh, yeah, that Robin, he's a fox. Yeah, like, you know, like so trickster, like trickster archetype which is what people sort of associate with a fox like that's great shorthand now you don't need to like build that characterization as much because it's already a little bit written into the character and like um little john being like this huge bear oh yeah there's like big cuddly you have this vibe like yeah he's a bit sort of protective and like you know he's like laughing because he's baloo the bear of course that simple like stock character they had going yeah he's laughing and i don't know who's the guy who voices him i I don't i'm terrible with names i don't remember he's you know he's disney legend but he's baloo for years yeah i'm sure doing other voices no doubt almost certainly but uh that is that boisterous energy yeah again Without going into any weird racial stereotypes or anything, or like human archetypes, it's just like, you get the idea of this person, any person could be this person, no matter who they are, where they are in the world. You yeah. get big bear of a man, sexy fox of a guy, you yeah. know? Yeah, like, um, I think the, I can't remember, the, the, the bad guy of the piece is like the scrawny lion. Who doesn't have a mane. Yeah, which is... There's uh, a little bit of queer coding there, he's an effeminate little, little mama's boy. But hey, in that same movie, Robin Hood and Little John dress up as foxy ladies and yeah. they tell his fortune. <laughs> so it, it ain't all queer code and villainy, you know? You know, that explains an extra layer of why I love that movie so much. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, same sort of vibe. And then his, his like, um, slithering snake. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ka. Like, also another Disney legend. Yeah, like just whispering in his ear to like push him further and further into these like terrible things. It's like these associations that people have. It's great shorthand. It's a, such a delight. I, yeah. Anyway, so we anyway, like... technology. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, yeah, uh, anthropomorphic characters. They serve a purpose, and yeah, they're just kind well, of fun. Even this is an interesting microcosm of the idea of like ideas evolving because it's like well, our perspective of these animals shapes how they're being used as, in this narrative and that becomes a form of shorthand it becomes this form of like well it's easier to do these kinds of animations and fudge it like you say avoid the uncanny valley by doing it these are all adaptions of ideas and you can think of like 
uh, indigenous cultures where they have different uses for different animals and different spiritual beliefs. Mm-hmm. And it's like their ideas about those animals inform how they interact with both those animals and the world around them. And also like their conception of like how the universe works and ultimately how they structure their society. It's like, no, we harvest this animal for various reasons, including this spiritual practice that helps our society function. Like, and, you know, gives us meaning to our lives and and allows us to explore ourselves in in another avenue, this kind of spiritual avenue that is often overlooked, I think, when people talk about culture and technology. And that is that a form of biotechnology is using an eagle feather for religious ceremonies, biotechnology, religious biotech. I mean, it feels like it is to me in some ways because it is like, you know, religion is in some ways a technology as we sort of like discussed earlier as is like using the natural resources around you to inform things and that's what's like what's so fascinating to me about those kinds of like cultural interactions religion all these kinds of things is like how informed by their environment how informed by nature how informed by all of these layers they are these technologies that help us think about the world think about our place in it think about like how we interact with one another like even if you just look at religion as a like a a book to decide how you behave in society which it very often has at least some layers of like that's useful that's a great thing to spread around especially if you attach it to like amazing tales that like help inspire people to keep sharing it and to keep like you know Here's the building blocks for, like, not living like an asshole. And we're going to tell some great stories about why that's a good thing to, to like, aim for. And you're kind of, you're piggybacking off of people's delight in animals. People yeah. like animals. They're fun and interesting. And you can tell a neat story with an animal because they provide this character, this essential character that we might anthropocentrically attribute to them because yeah. of our perception of how they are. But, like ultimately like you're taking your idea of them and then using it into it turning into a technology to shape your society you're telling stories you're you're yeah. energizing people modeling behavior for them through the delight of animals yeah and uh are your your relationship with those animals which can vary from culture to culture you know there's some that have a more equal understanding of animals others have a more exploitative understanding of animals you know, like it's uh, how you see them will affect how you interact with them, of course. And which, you yeah. know, that's kind of, yeah, duh. But like, yeah, you know, but I, the, the stories you tell about them, I think that's neat. Yeah. But, well, I, and like we just said, it is really important to how, like, how you structure your, these tools, these evolutionary um, tools and inventions and concepts. It's like, yeah. Sorry, I'm losing my my train of thought here. We are galaxy braiding pretty hard. We get, we get, but... It's easy to zoom out far and lose focus. But yeah, I, I like this idea of uh, adapting other species as being part of like technology is also ideas. Yeah. And it's also like how you interact uh, with those ideas with other beings and your ideas about those beings. Yeah, uh, it's this net yeah, we're as techno organisms, humans live in our brains and our ideas and our tools that come from those ideas as much as anything else. We are dependent upon them and enmeshed with them to the same degree that we're enmeshed within our ecosystem. Yeah. And our idea of the ecosystem is part of that. It's like this double layer of 
uh, the actual ecosystem, which also includes like the forces of natural selection, and then our idea of it, which includes our cultural understanding of these things, and then they meet. And one is not completely subservient to the other. I think one might argue that the ecosystem and natural selection is probably overall greater than us because we we are contained within it. Yeah. But our ideas and technology are incredibly powerful and are changing that and the balance Mm -hmm. is shifting in our favor perhaps one day we would become greater i don't know if that's truly possible because we'll always be contained within the cosmos and you don't know what you don't know yeah but you know we we're shifting that balance well like you know our our species once thought that uh flight was impossible and now we've been to nearby planets like people like to say we've been to the stars, but like we haven't been to the stars. We've been to the other bodies we've, in our. We've been to the system. rocks. We haven't even been to the other stars, and like I can't. We haven't even been to our star. Yeah, like I know we've said like a couple of probes, I think, just to get some like basic readings. But... Nah, you got to stand on the surface and plant a flag. <laughs> <laughs> got to do it at night though, because yes. that's when it's uh, yeah. Not you know, go you. go in winter, nighttime. <laughs> that's how it works uh no but like yeah i just you know i don't know like i say we're 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 galaxy braiding pretty hard here but i do really love the idea of just like taking a look at this concept of like yeah eventually one day we probably will like have more dominion over how our environment is shaped we've already spent thousands of years getting to the point where we have a great deal of dominion over our environment one day we may get to the point where we can pick a desolate planet and be like okay well you're gonna have life we're gonna just fucking seed life on you bitch and 500 years from now it's gonna be a habitable planet done yeah or like even 50 years from now we don't know like we don't have those technologies yet but we can imagine them but then you know we were, we were talking about this a little bit a while ago uh not on the pod of like uh the assumption we often have that like oh yeah we'll get there progress this human science will figure it out it was inevitable and it's like eh, you don't know there could be limits there could be limits to what humans silly monkeys that we are are actually capable of yeah. and maybe whatever is doing that in the future is not going to be human it would be an evolution uh an evolutionary step beyond human perhaps in the, t- the technological technology will itself continue to evolve and We'll have AI beings or human AI hybrids, techno organisms. So interestingly, the the concept of the technological singularity that I I first heard was the idea of human and technology becoming so interchangeable that you cannot distinguish between them. And eventually that all members of our species mixed with technology unite as one single technological singularity one single organism of combination biological and technological uh components working together as one organism effectively and so i guess you know i never really fully closed in on the thought i had way near the beginning of our discussion about people being quote-unquote too dependent upon technology where you become so enmeshed in a technological system that you can't function without it. And we're already there. Yeah. You already need clothing and fire and tools to live. You, if you were thrown out alone in the savannah, even with clothing and tools and fire making implements, you'd probably die because yeah. you need a, a whole like social net 
a whole net of humans and other technology to really survive. So, so it's a little bit of a moot point, but I think like, I'm not convinced actually that a techno cyborg, you know, post-human is necessarily superior than a biohuman because a biohuman, as dependent as technology as we are, is a little more adaptable to not having all that technology. You can still just light a fire. You can still just keep warm and eat grubs or whatever. But your techno organism, like, oh yeah, I need my my synthetic proteins to be injected into my brain stem, and you know we got to oil up this thing, and got to go repair that. And I can't do that on my own. I need the hive. I got to return to the techno hive to survive. Well, I mean, this is where it gets interesting because it's like, well, the kind of technological singularity organism that would, in theory, take over would be one in which it is spread across the vastness of whatever territory we have like claimed in space, whatever space we have claimed and is made up of all these different components where yeah sure like as an individual one part of it wouldn't be able to survive and like having that fire and that adaptability but as a whole is far more adaptable because it can just be like well i want to explore this weird corner of space with this weird anomaly well i'll just make some technology that makes that possible which is what we've done as a species forever like we've just adapted to whatever the environment is that we want to like we are as a species like evolution like that's how all species work but we especially have like taken that adaptability trait and like yeah it feels like we're pure adaptation we're always just adapting yeah like we might reach a point where okay we'll have bodies that are genetically engineered to be massively adaptable that we've like embedded technology in so that yeah we can survive with fire and it's like our technology is just running off our own internal movements and what have you to charge it and keep it going and like we've artificially boosted the amount of memory that we have in our brain given like little chips to help keep things going or like nano machines to keep our blood pure like you know clean of toxins prevent us from getting like hurt or damaged like repair stuff etc our original you know cells what i don't know was it prokaryotic and eukaryotic cells i don't remember which is which which is the one that's like got micro organelles and the other one doesn't have little organelles oh i don't remember oh you know well there's the ones all the simple ones little bacterias right Mm -hmm. they're they're doing their thing and then at some point littler ones get eaten by a bigger one but they don't get fully digested and they live within it and they become embedded within it as a colony and then that becomes the new kind of cell the you or pro i think pro is before and you is after that I don't know. sounds right, possibly. I, uh, yeah, we know a lot about science, I swear. Um, <laughs> you know, but they, they, they all live together in a big yellow submarine. I mean, they, they live as a single organism to the point where they become a single organism. And that's what our cells are. They're yeah. multiple little organisms that all became fused together, which then became a colony of those cells and bound together into an organism. Like, yeah. it's multiple layers of, of things colonizing and becoming a little cluster. Yeah. And so, you feasibly, perhaps at some point, humans will develop a technology where we modify our bodies where, yeah, we got this new little thing in us. It's this new little guy that lives inside us, and it's a little robot friends that help us do things better. And if you, if you just eat a, a diet that contains these minerals, it's easy enough to replenish them. Yeah, and, they'll, like, replenish themselves. They'll just set up... You, we, 
like set up a little factory in your body that just keeps producing more. Got little guys in you. You got new little guys, and they help you work better. And you do all your same normal human stuff, but just a little better. You got new little guys that help you. Yeah. That's all. I'm fine with that. That doesn't sound too scary, as long as Elon Musk doesn't own them. Well, and, like, you know, isn't hacking into me or doing some paywall bullshit. Yeah. Like, I this is the thing is like can you imagine having like a little thing in your head that allowed you to telepathically communicate with people when you wanted like that could be incredibly useful like having the equivalent of effectively a cell phone installed in your brain that just you can think to people and this computer would just transmit it into the network i think i'd want that to be purely like you choose who it is you can communicate with and you have to both mutually agree to it and yeah. you have to meet face to face in order to do it effectively. <laughs> Maybe you can put your brain up into the cloud internet and just be open to like psychic omegle or chatterbait and just let weirdos come to you. But I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I would only want to be directly communicate with like my direct loved ones, and it's a mutually agreed thing, and only when we want to. I don't want anyone being able to call me and bother me. Absolutely, and I, I feel like that's exactly like the kind of thing where you'd want. You'd want to have adaptions that would make sense to you now in this circumstance if you're thinking about this technology. But, like, if we got to the point where it was just every baby was installed with, like, fucking mind transmitter. And from that point onwards, like, our species was just used or, to having things implanted in our brain that allowed us to talk to each other without or you wouldn't moving even, our lips. What if you could get to the level of it's not you implant it, it's encoded. And when you have a baby, yeah. they've got it in them. They, they, they're structure their body creates that structure on its own yeah you come with the little seed to with a nanobot that will construct any if it needs to be a non-organic structure it can be a non-organic structure or we have organic structures that do these things too exactly like you know in theory we could create organic structures that do these technological things and like this is where it becomes so fascinating to me is like the technological singularity for me is where it becomes impossible to distinguish between one and the other now of course as we've said i think in many different podcasts and really in this podcast too i don't trust that as long as capitalism is going on because we were talking about with the crypto thing the same old scams can parasitize off new ideas i don't want that capitalism scam parasitizing off my new techno feature because it's they're gonna fuck it up they're gonna make it bad and get that poison out get that impurity out they're gonna beam fucking adverts to you in your sleep futurama style yeah because like no way i'm doing any brain implant or telepathy thing as long as it's brought to you by comcast or any other company not having it yeah and I, I, I'm absolutely right there with you. I do not trust capitalism to provide us if anything that is good. That's not going to just leave people. Because I don't know. The, fried it's survival of the profit. So they're only going to make things that make them money. They're not going to make things that actually help you. Yeah. I, it needs to be done benevolently. It needs to be done purely as a way to help humanity, not as a way to help yourself. Yeah. And so, yeah, if we live in some kind of communal future where we're embedded in our technology and we're one with it and it's just like, oh, yeah, this is how you do things and it's nobody's taking advantage of you. You're just doing your thing. Like, oh, okay, I mean, sure, I'll be a superhuman, I guess. That's not the worst thing. Yeah. And like, can you imagine the ideas it would open up? That's uh, like, that's sort of where I started this. It's just... Imagining the ideas of how technology evolves, how thoughts evolve, how ideas evolve, and like, yeah, just like where we could go with that.
dang, we've gone a, gone a long time. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. We're allowed. Yeah. Do you have any other final thoughts on this lofty topic? Uh, not that I could summarize in a short space of time. So maybe it's one of those things that like we'll have a lunch, we'll have a lot more thoughts and come back to down the line. But for the moment, I'm pretty happy. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm happy. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm feeling like I'm vibing. I'm feeling all right. I suppose. Yeah, you know what? I take that back. I am happy. I'm I'm doing great. I'm glad. I feel good about this. Me well, too. Uh, I'm just going to take this uh, at the end of our episode of Obsessive by Nature, which I don't think we said the name. Once again, we didn't say the name of the podcast, but I don't care. You know what, you're, you, know what you clicked on. Yeah. Why do I have to hold your hand like a baby? Do I really have to, like, I spend this whole time preaching about how I'm not into capitalism, but then you're going to expect me to do all the whole, hey, you should watch the show. Hey, check this out. You got to know the name of the show. Hey, it's me putting on a show for you. So you buy things like... No, just let me talk. You're going to listen to me talk, right? I assume, I hope. Hopefully. But, you know, with that said, Obsessive by Nature is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you like the podcast or the other weird stuff that you do and want to support it, you can go over to Life of Bria, I mean, patreon.com slash Life of Bria to support us for just, I think it's $2 a month. And then you get access to the Discord. You can hang out with us and chat, see what weird projects we're working on. And you're helping artists be weirdos, do their thing in the real world. Yeah, um, we want to make stuff that makes you happy, keeps you entertained, because we want to do that. Not because it's a profit, but all of it helps. We're doing that benevolent techno future. We're all just going to be friends with superhuman little guys in us, making us stronger, making <laughs> That's art. The plan. Yeah. All right, well, uh, b- bye. Bye. <laughs>